0: I still remember the dread that I had as I was at 11 year old about to undergo in Scotland what was called the 11 plus examination. It was intended to test you where you were in your studies at that particular period of time and it would put you into different streams of high school that you were about to enter. Testing. A few weeks ago the BBC website reported an article which called for national assessments for five-year-old pupils to be scrapped. The assessments were introduced about a year ago to gauge children's numeracy and literacy skills, and the final sentence of the article said, some opponents have highlighted claims that children have been left distressed. Well, on Thursday of last week, the Scottish government decided to abandon the testing. People have been delivered from evil. Jesus encouraged us to pray, do not lead me into the time of testing, but deliver us from the evil one. The prayer comes after the event that I read earlier on this morning from Matthew's account of Jesus being tested by the evil one. The story begins in Matthew 4 by telling us that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And there he faced three tests. And succeeds in repelling Satan. The vulnerability, the weakness, the loneliness of Jesus in these forty days is apparent when we read at the end of the story that when the devil disappears, angels suddenly swoop down and they take care of the weary Messiah. There's something strenuous, there's something stressful about a time of testing. Book-ending that event in the Gospel of Matthew is the occurrence in the Garden of Gethsemane when our Lord encounters a struggle with the will of God in his life. He prays, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. And eventually, after a deep emotional struggle, he prays, yet not my will, but yours be done. Just as Jesus faces tests and temptations, so do his followers. Why does God allow it? Why is Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness? John Calvin makes the comment that in his experience and in our experience, God tests for good, whereas Satan tempts for evil. The prayer which Jesus encourages us to pray with confidence is, lead me not to the place of trial. It's not meant to imply that we can circumvent the difficult trials which occur in our lives. They are common to all people. But to register, rather, our frailty, our weakness, and to learn to put our trust and faith in God. Jimmy Dunn puts it this way, it is a prayer of conscious and confessed weakness. It makes no pretense of confidence in our own strength, but rather expresses an unconditional abandonment to the will and the grace of God. Our Father in Heaven doesn't intend our lives to be broken in some kind of hazing ritual or to test our limits by playing games with the evil one, but rather the experiences of life which we encounter often test us, they often try us, and they often help us to grow, to go deep in our relationship with God as we cast our cares upon Him, knowing that He cares for us. Theologian Karol Zazelski wrote a helpful essay on prayer, She feels that these days she often is not like a theologian preparing scholarly opinions, but more like a mother huddled in a cave with her children, finds herself turning to traditional prayers for protection for her family, her community, for people she knows and loves. She calls them 360 degree prayers, prayers when we sense that we are surrounded, surrounded by the grace and the help of God. Our Celtic ancestors wrote and prayed a distinctive 360-degree prayer, breastplate prayers they were called, which come from Ephesians 6, from where Paul talks about putting on the the armor of God to face all the trials and temptations of life. St. Patrick's breastplate is one of those. Christ to shield me today, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arrive. The presence of Christ surrounding us. Lord, lead me not into temptation. This prayer is not so much, I think, about asking God in the midst of our circumstances somewhere, but perhaps more not to leave us in the midst of our circumstances to our own devices. Perhaps we might express it, don't abandon me to temptation. Don't leave me by myself. It is not intended to make us lax or lazy about the difficulties of life, but to rather help us to make an appeal to God to be with us, whatever we encounter. I love the honesty of Jesus' prayers, the prayer of the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and later the prayer of the cross, where in the midst of all his distress, he suddenly cries out in a psalm of lament, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? why have you forsaken me? We sometimes feel like that. Lord, don't me take me through that experience again. Does prayer change things? A prayer like this, will it help us in this coming week? Jesus was not, if we're honest, delivered from suffering and from trial and from death, and none of us knows about the mysterious ways of God's in our life to claim absolutely that prayer doesn't work or always that prayer's always working. There's a mystery about prayer. Paul Tillich, the theologian, once said, to entreat and to intercede is to transform situations powerfully. I think it was William Temple, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, who once said, when I pray, things happen. When I don't pray, things don't happen. Our prayers become channels of the grace of God. We pray for ourselves and we pray for others. We become vehicles, we become those who begin and bring the grace of God into the life of others. My personal testimony is that things become different when people pray for me. Perhaps best of all, we know that as we draw near to God in prayer, he is the one who is with us. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Not only lead me not into the time of trial and temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Now, if we're honest, many modern Christians, including ourselves, can dismiss the idea of evil and the evil one. Uh, you may know the, the writings of C.S. Lewis, the screw Tape Letters, he imagines instructions between a senior demon, Screwtape, and his apprentice, Wormwood. In the preface to the book, Lewis offers his own insights into the nature of evil. He, he gives this idea. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can our race can fall about demons and devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence entirely, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The power of evil, I think, is real if we look around our world today. Not only personal evil, but structural evil, systemic evil, systems which oppress people, the evil influences in our world. The power of evil ought to be admitted, yes, but the word of God says greater is you, or greater is the one that is in you, than the one that is in the world, There's an amusing incident in the Old Testament concerning the prophet Elisha. He has been troublemaker to the king and the king eventually loses his patience and sends a contingent of the army to surround the little village where Elisha is living. It's the name is Dothan. There is another Dothan in the world apart from Alabama. Dothan where Elisha was staying. And in the morning, Elisha's servant gets up earlier than Elisha. Maybe he was going to make him a a cup of hot tea. And he he, he stretches his arms and his legs and he goes outside and he's suddenly stunned by the sight that the hills are full of soldiers. And he panics. He says, Elisha, Elisha, get up. There's There's trouble ahead. What are we going to do about it? And Elisha, in that kind of calm, untroubled way, says to the Lord, Lord, open his eyes. And we read that the young man looked again and he saw that the hills were full of the horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Greater is he that is in you, says John, than he that is in the world. This prayer is a prayer, deliver us from the evil one. This prayer is a prayer about offering God all our fears about the future. Lead me not into the time of trial as a kind of present prayer, but the future is so uncertain. Deliver me from the evil one. Our fear is that the future will bring challenges that we're not going to be able to cope with. Too much for us. There's a fear of ourselves. We are too weak or the circumstances are just overwhelming. There's a fear of ourselves. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. However much we may feel that we're ready always to move into the next stage of our lives, my guess is that in our hearts very often we're we're fearful, we're troubled. We deal with a good deal of uncertainty. There's a lot we don't know about ourselves, about the future, about what may occur. And so we pray, Lord, deliver us. This prayer comes almost last. Well, it's the last petition anyway, because the final part of the Lord's Prayer is a doxology. But this is the end of us asking for things in this Lord's Prayer. We begin with being assured of the love of God towards us. We begin by acknowledging the holiness of God, whom we seek to revere and to honor. We ask the Lord for provisions for daily life in terms of our daily necessities. We seek forgiveness and we seek to remind ourselves that we need to forgive one another. And now we come to ask for help in the midst of all that might occur in the days, the weeks, the months, the years that lie ahead of us. Deliver us from that which is bigger than us and might destroy us. The petition reminds us, the double petition, that there are situations that are dangerous and we shouldn't be complacent about them. How close can you drive to the side of the the road where there's a cliff face? Oh, as far away as I can, (laughs) came the reply. We don't live in a moral and spiritual vacuum. We know that we are weak. So we don't bring ourselves temptation willy-nilly. No, we seek to avoid it. And we seek the grace and the help of God to deliver us. What does the future hold? I don't know. I do know that there is one whom I've put my trust and my confidence in who knows something about the future. Knowing that, we have patience in the midst of our struggles. Knowing as the psalmist says that our times are in his hands. We take time to live life, make decisions, choose wisely. And we don't get downcast and overwhelmed with the evil around us and fail to know that God's kingdom is coming. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have confidence in this prayer that God is the one in whom we have placed all our confidence and our hope. In his brilliant Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan tells a story of faithful, of Christian, on their spiritual journey towards the celestial city, suddenly confronted by lions. Two of them, in Bunyan's mind, He's reminded that the devil is a roaring lion seeking to someone to to destroy. And here he sees two lions. And then Bunyan puts in, but he saw not has been defeated. He forgot that the evil one has been defeated in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the word of hope that comes to us within the scripture is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so we pray, Father, lead us not into the time of trial, but deliver us from the evil one. Will you pray with me? And in faith and in confidence, we bring our fears and our concerns, our worries as well as our failures into the presence of God. And we pray, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. We use the words of 679 as a concluding hymn as a prayer of response. Oh, for a closer walk with God. 679. Shall we stand to sing?
1: join me in prayer our gracious God we are so thankful to be in this place to be reminded of your love to be reminded of your grace and most importantly of your forgiveness as we come into this altar I pray that you'll look in our hearts help us to get rid of those things that hinder us that keep us back from fully expressing our gratitude and our love for you as we bring our gifts may we also bring our innermost being to you, our all, and may we ask ourselves and make ourselves available to share ourselves so you can use us to share your love, to share your grace, to share your forgiveness to this hurting world. Take these gifts so that everyone may experience this love. Multiply them in ways that we will never ever see, but thank you for the generosity that's in these hearts.
2: Loving and gracious God, we present these tithes and offerings to you. We ask, Lord, that as we bring them and, are, and dedicate them to you, that you would multiply them, and they would be used for those purposes that will bring love, mercy, and grace to this world, that your kingdom might be expanded. In your name I pray, amen. Can we sit here for just a moment, please? First, let me welcome all those who are guests, we're delighted that you're here, those who may be visiting with us whether you're just coming through town or whether you're uh, here have moved here or whether you're here in school we're glad that you're here and for everyone we want to take a moment afterwards to hope that you'll um, stop through the in the narthex there for some lemonade and cookies so we'll can talk to one another we'll find out what all has been going on in the previous week hope that you'll take part in that and then of course all the events that you see listed here uh, on our calendar of events for the week God has blessed us richly and provided us to the opportunity to um, to walk alongside and to be led by the Spirit day by day. And a part of that is knowing that um, as God leads us, we respond and that he leads us in the paths that we should go. And for that, we trust. And Ken is going to come, Dr. Robert, come now and have our benediction. May grace, mercy, and peace from God, Father, Son, and
0: Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.